Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, everyone. This week, Dr. Burton and I are going to talk about navigating strong differences of opinion. And our main focus is going to be difference in religion and politics in relationships, because those are some big ones. And in Utah, I would imagine that happens quite often, given yeah, the yeah the does. heavy the heavy religious prevalence in Utah. So I'm going to start out by sharing my own personal experience. And this is just a very, very close friend that I have. And we're going to be talking mainly about couples who've been in a relationship for a while or, you know, marriages, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But my closest friend from college, we were roommates and we're still really, really close, but neither of us was really very political up until right around the time the pandemic started and the whole impeachment thing started. And around then we both started really getting into politics. Well, it turns out we're on opposite sides. Like we have very, very opposite views politically, but we're still really, really close friends. It hasn't altered our friendship. And I think the main reason for that in our situation is, I mean, for one, we're not married. And for two, we just don't really talk about it a whole lot. But, you know, we live in different states, but we still talk at least once a week. And there's so much else going on in our lives that we have plenty of other things to talk about that we just don't really talk about politics. And for us, that works great. So For other couples, how have you seen couples navigate a strong political difference in opinion? So the subject of, you know, religious differences and political differences, those are the two main ones that I see in the office where there's some sort of conflict and the couple's trying to work it out. I think that this past election cycle and the past four years have been a little bit different just because there are really heightened emotions on both sides of yeah. uh, the, the political divide. And so here's one example. I'll give, I'll start with a, an example. This is a couple that I saw and an older couple, uh, I think second marriage and very different political views. They didn't talk about it though. They assumed, and mm-hmm. I think that they'd been married a while and they assumed that it was okay because the emotional environment wasn't very strong. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, they didn't really have a lot of reason to get upset with one another. But when Trump became president, you know, there was a lot of uh, divisive rhetoric going on in the country. And so Mm -hmm. that's what happened within the household. And so something that had not been a problem then suddenly became a problem mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, restrictions on you can't listen to that, or I don't like hearing that. And it became the problem with it was there was a lack of what I'd call communication around the issue, because they're both in their own perspective corners, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, trying to defend their views. And so I don't know that it worked out well for them. 
But I think you're going to hear during this episode, you're going to hear me use the word empathy a lot, which actually mm-hmm. I, I probably use empathy a lot during a regular session throughout the yeah. day or my sessions throughout the day, because I think that's what's missing. So if mm-hmm. you think about our, and I'll talk from a, a broader perspective of the country, I think that what what's missing is the ability to really see the other person's position. And so we demonize the other person, you know, if we have differing views. Now, fortunately, you and your friend, you know, you don't do that. And it's true, maybe you don't have as much contact. But I think that if you can really put yourself in the other person's emotional place to understand what's the reason they're thinking this way, Mm -hmm. that's the start. Because if we can't see the other person's perspective, I don't see how there is an opportunity for dialogue at -hmm. that point. And so one of the things I try and help couples do is just to step back and really listen to the other person so that you understand what's important to them, in this case, about the political ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason why my friendship works so well is we have a very long history of respect for one another and, you know, respect for one another's intelligence and one another's opinions and our ability to educate ourselves on a topic. And that's really what we've both done is we've both educated ourselves on these various topics and we disagree. And, but when it comes down to it, we still respect each other, even though we do disagree. And I don't even know that we could go so far as to say we're empathetic because we both have pretty strong feelings, mm-hmm. but it doesn't affect our friendship because again, we just, we respect that we have differing opinions and we just move on with life because our friendship is more important. And I think that's applicable to a marriage. Hopefully you, there's respect in, in the relationship and you can move on or you can just accept that, you know, you can agree to disagree. Right. And so with, uh, you know, we'll talk about religion in a bit and that's a, right. uh, that's actually a slightly harder yeah. uh, issue for couples. But I think that if, if you don't have the respect, so you bring up a really good point and that is what is the context of the relationship anyway? Like mm-hmm. if you didn't have the political differences is there compassion? Is there respect? Are you, you know, do you treat each other well? So mm-hmm. if you're in a relationship where those things are not present, I think it's very, very difficult then to have a productive conversation about a difference like politics because you don't have the respect. Mm-hmm. And so that is a, that's an important point, Liz, is that you've got to have a good foundation anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> So I would guess that those couples who have that good foundation and that emotional connection would probably be able to navigate these differences better mm-hmm. than those couples that were struggling. Because if you're struggling, then that becomes it's easy for politics to become the focus. And if you don't have the respect, it's really easy then to demonize the other person or to you know vilify them. So getting back to how does this actually work when you're having the conversation and and what does empathy look like? I think that if you, in a, in the context of a marriage, 
at least for me, I always thought if you're in love with a person, if you have this life with them, wouldn't you want to know every single aspect about, you know, how they think about the world? At least that mm-hmm. that would be my um, approach is I, I want to know everything about what, you know, Lindy's life, what she's thinking, you know, those types of things. And so mm-hmm. it you start from the, the perspective of, I would like to know what's going on in your head, or I'd mm-hmm. like to know what you're thinking about this. But you you have to do it with an open mind and not being judgmental. So mm-hmm. there's the, there's another key is that often it's so easy with politics to be judgmental. Yeah. But if I really believe this, that yes, there are people who are on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, mm-hmm. or that political divide. But I think if you really figure out what are the things that we have in common, I think that we have a lot more in common than we do differences. Yeah. And so when you're having the dialogue, it's not just about how do we think differently about this subject. It's also how are we alike? Mm-hmm. What are the things that we agree on because then you know you can hold on to that and you can say yeah there are these differences but really we agree on a lot of basic things Mm -hmm. so empathy is the ability to listen without judgment that's important very hard though to do i think you can do it with a practice yeah the other thing is uh, if if we feel like we have to be defensive about our own view that kind of kills the process. And so you have to not be defensive. It mm-hmm. doesn't, I don't know that there's a right or a wrong. I deal with, in fact, the last couple I saw tonight, it was the issue of, I, I want to be right. They both want to be right. They both think they're right. Mm-hmm. I think if you approach it that way, you're never going to be able to get to the empathy because yeah. I really think most things in life, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong. I think there are different ways to view the world, different ways to handle various problems, and what who's to say what's right or wrong? I think there's certainly absolute rights or wrongs, like, you know, you don't kill someone else. Murder's wrong. Right. It's yeah. an absolute yep. wrong. Uh-huh. But yeah. I think that much of life is in the gray area. And so the couples, you have to get rid of that notion that you're going to be right or that you are right or that you're the way you see politics in the country or the world is right. It's Mm -hmm. not. It's just your viewpoint. Yeah, exactly. And I've said this before, we don't have to agree to be kind. And right. (laughs) I mean, I wish our country would remember that, that we don't have to be on the exact same page about an issue to be kind to one another. One thing that drives me absolutely bonkers on social media is the fact that if you differ in opinion from someone, you just automatically unfriend them or you stop following them. And that drives me crazy. It's like, it doesn't need to be that way. In fact, I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you're saying about issues that I disagree on. And, and the reason being is because I want to form my own opinion based on what all sides are saying. And I can't do that if I only hear people who agree with me. And I think that can be applied to marriage too. You should want to hear their thoughts and their opinions on this controversial subject. Right. And I think in some ways, 
a lot of us have lost the ability to be civil with one another. And so yes. when you say, you know, you can disagree and still be kind, that's absolutely true. Here's a, here's a story that, you know, tells my age. I'm, I remember when Reagan was president, mm-hmm. you probably weren't even born when Reagan was president, <laughs> but so Reagan was president and Tip O'Neill, a Dem- so Reagan's a Republican, Tip O'Neill's a Democrat, mm-hmm. was the speaker of the house. And they would disagree. And this was, this story is verified by a lot of people that yes, they would disagree and they might even say, you know, harsh things in the paper, but then at night they'd go off and have a drink together. And so they could still be kind and socialize and have different ideas on which way the country ought to go. And so somehow we've lost that ability to be civil and to be kind in the face of difference. Now, one of the things that there's a book I love, it's called Getting the Love You Want. I may have mentioned it before by Harville Hendricks and his wife, Helen LaKelly Hunt. And one of the things he likes to say, which I pass on to my clients, is one of the primary tasks of marriage is to learn to be comfortable with difference. You don't marry yourself. You actually marry someone else. (laughs) Right. And so to to assume that we're going to think the same way on every single subject, that's just a mistake. It rarely, mm-hmm. rarely happens. Oh, yeah. And I, I hear people say all the time that, oh, we're so different. How can we have this relationship? Because everybody who gets together and gets married is different. Mm-hmm. The, the, they're just maybe differing degrees of those differences but it's really the ability to be comfortable with difference. You do not have to think exactly the same way I do in order for me to have a relationship. You know, and it's interesting you say that because I think back to mine and Curtis's first year of marriage, and I would say we disagreed on like 90% of everything. And it wasn't that there was conflict. It was just that we compromised and we had to come to an agreement on a lot in that first year of marriage, because there was just so much that was just, I guess, well, it's new between us. Right. Exactly. New. I mean, but I would, I thought about it and I'm like, you know, I think 90% of the time we have to come to some sort of accommodation. I mean, so many little aspects of our lives, you know, a decade later, it's way, way less because we've been together so long and we think a lot more alike and really, we know how the other person thinks a whole lot more now. Well, you just verified something that I say to most couples. I see, I see a fair number of couples who come in either right after their marriage or even Mm -hmm. for premarital counseling. And I think it takes about five to 10 years to learn how to be married to someone. Mm -hmm. And it's just exactly what you were talking about is, you know, we fall in love and I think we have this I don't know if it's a Disney-esque uh, idea of marriage or this we fairy totally tale. Do. You know, the, oh, the, yeah. the, we fall in love. And so the birds are flying around us and landing uh-huh. on our shoulders. Everything's like that. Well, that's not reality. And, no. <laughs> and so just because we love someone, you know, dearly and passionately does not mean we're going to agree on everything. And so there mm-hmm. are always, I think in every marriage, there are always bumps. And yeah. that throws people off that, oh my gosh, you know, what did we do? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, here's this kind of bump. And I say, you know, relax, it's a bump, learn from mm-hmm. it, you yeah. know, and, and make the adjustments or the accommodations or the mm-hmm. compromises that are necessary in all marriages. And so just because, you know, speaking to couples who might be 
maybe they're on a have different political ideas. That does not mean that you can't have a, a good relationship. Uh, another one that betrays my age, Marley Matlin and James Carville. James Carville worked for Clinton in both administrations of his. And Mary Matlin was worked for Bush. Mm-hmm. And they've got married. And I think they have a pretty good relationship. And mm-hmm. so somehow, you know, those are pretty opposite ideas about yeah. uh, politics, but somehow they made it work. Mm-hmm. So it's all about listening. And I know mm-hmm. sometimes it probably sound like a broken record. It's about listening and empathy and trying mm-hmm. to understand the other person's perspective without being judgmental. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the harder one would, I think, definitely be religion. And I got married when I was 19 to a guy I had known less than a year, which is definitely the craziest thing I've ever done in my entire life. But- yeah, I might agree with you on that one. <laughs> But I know it was the right decision. And it wasn't just something I just happened to take a chance on. I knew that it was right. And in a big part, because the number one thing that Curtis and I were looking for in a spouse was someone who made religion a priority in their life. And that was both me and Curtis. And it was it's been the foundation of our relationship and, and it's made us highly compatible and it's made us given us this ability to overcome a lot of things. And I feel like my marriage is a success. So I think either one of us might feel devastated if the other one were to leave the religion or, you know, leave the faith. So let's talk specifically about that first, because I would imagine this is something you see quite often. I do see that. Yeah. And it can be, it comes in a couple of different contexts. One is certainly the way you described it, where both people are practicing members of a particular faith. And then Mm -hmm. sometime within the marriage down the road, one of them changes. And so mm-hmm. that's one context. The other context is that you actually get married knowing that there are differences in religion. One is, mm-hmm. you know, one faith and one is the other faith. And the issue that you really have to be careful of there is that both both people in the marriage are going to, they're fine with it. They're fine with the difference. Mm-hmm. When do you think that changes? I know you're going to know. When you have kids. So, and I try and say, you, you're fine now, but you've got to think about when you have kids, then what happens? Mm -hmm. Because one or both of you may want to then raise the children in Mm -hmm. your particular religion. That's when it becomes a problem. And so I think it's really important if you are of different, well, even if you are of the same faith, but if you're of different faiths, you've got to talk about it before. Yeah. And I think that to really understand where is the other person coming from? What, And if you're in the same faith, I think you'd want to understand what is the strength of the other person's faith mm-hmm. so that you know going in. But again, I believe that you can have those differences and you can still have a good relationship. You have to be able to accept the differences. Mm-hmm. So in the second one, which I certainly have seen before, is usually what happens, uh, so you both start out in the same faith, and often what happens is an event happens. And it can be, you know, different events that cause the one person to question their faith. It usually starts Mm -hmm. out with just questioning. 
And then, you know, at some point they may lose the faith or want to move away from the faith. Mm -hmm. So what does the other person do then mm -hmm. that is still active in the faith? And I think first and foremost, again, you've got to have the dialogue yeah. and it's going to be really easy to be judgmental of each other in that particular case. Like even, so the people who, who, who then leave the faith, it's easy for them to point to the other and say, why don't you see it the way I see it? That, I mean, that's what I hear, you know, mm -hmm. can't, can't you see this? So it's so clear. It's the why question. Don't uh -huh. do the why question. Don't ask the why. And mm -hmm. so I think asking what's going on in your life, I'd like to understand the context. And so if you can understand what's at the heart of the loss of faith, Mm -hmm. But equally important would be what is at the heart of the continue of your continued faith? Yeah. And once you can get there, then I think you can accept each other's differences. But again, what becomes the problem? What is the problem is typically the children. Yeah. So if, if you're in a relationship without children, often those differences in faith aren't a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But. But when you have children, then the question is, okay, what are we going to teach our children? Mm -hmm. That is a very, very tough negotiation. Yeah. And so you, I've seen it done many different ways. You know, one person might say, oh, it doesn't matter to me. Raise them, you know, if, if it's really important to you to raise them in your particular faith, go ahead. Now, that's one way to approach it, but that's not always the way the other person is. I mean, the other person, mm -hmm. I've seen this with often <clears throat> the person who leaves the faith becomes an atheist. Mm -hmm. And so for them, it becomes really difficult to even talk about the idea of God or how do we raise children? You know, I, I don't believe there's a God. So how do we raise our children yeah. with these differing viewpoints? So again, that's tough. And I think usually the way, because if you've got young children, again, it depends on the age of the child, right? Because right. a kid who's five, they aren't going to understand anything. And I think you have to do, you have to have age appropriate conversations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one way to approach it is you, okay, you raise the kid, the child in the religion, but at some point, and this happens naturally for adolescents, often they, you know, part of the adolescent process is to question, you know, mm -hmm. what it is they're being taught. And so I try and help them see that there is going to be a natural time when this whole idea is going to open up. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you ever hide anything. You're never dishonest with kids. And you can all, and I think that it can also be a great learning experience for kids. Oh, mom and dad, you know, think differently about this, but they still love each other. And this is still, they're still good parents to us. I mean, you know, they're thinking those thoughts exactly, yeah. but mm -hmm. that's, that's what's happening for them. And so I think it, really enforces reinforces that idea of differences is a difference is okay. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, to, for the couple, you have to really have a plan. I think you've mm -hmm. got to have a plan for the children. Yeah. What does it look like up until this age? And then from this age on, when they may start questioning, how are we going to approach that? I think it's so much, it's so much more important to be prepared mm -hmm. for the questions. And I think as parents, if you sit down and you think, okay, what, what are the possible questions that our children might ask? And you can come up with a whole list of questions and oh, then, yeah. okay, yeah. what are the answers? How are we going to approach this? 
because like anything in parenting, you want to approach this as a team. Yes. That you want to be mm-hmm. a team. You want to be on the same page. And the, I think the very best way to do that is to have the conversation before. Mm-hmm. So I think that marriages can survive this type of thing, even with people who are, you know, really faithful and active in a particular religion. And for a lot of for a lot of religions, the most important thing is that family unit. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to believe that anyway, within or without the context of a religion, I think mm-hmm. that what we have is you know our little family, the the father mother or the father father or the mother mother. You know, I think any family co- uh, constellation is important, yeah. and I think keeping that family together really, for me, that's my own personal opinion, is more important than the religious activity. But you can only do that if you have a good dialogue and decide on the same page how you're going to raise the children. Right. And I think really what it comes down to is love. Do yes. you do yeah. you love each other? And well, the love, respect too. Exactly. And, and the love and the respect. And so what this reminds me of and what I keep thinking about is a friend of mine who I went to high school with and she had a baby with this guy who went on to marry someone who was a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so he married and had his own family with this girl. And my friend is, she's not interested in the church and, you know, they, they didn't, they never ended up getting married. And so for her, it's not a problem, but they have this, this kid together. And so they have a parenting plan because they obviously co-parent. And in this parenting plan, I think what they have said is that until their daughter that they have together is age 12, she can't make any decisions. And I felt like that is really fair and really reasonable because she's given two very, very different. Well, I guess not very, very different because her mom is also a very strong as a very strong Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Just it's, it's very different than her father's. And so I think that could almost be helpful is why don't we let the kids decide when they're older and she hears both sides she's able, she will be able to make her own decision about it. And I thought that was really reasonable and really fair. Yeah, I I agree. But um, what you said just reminded me of another point. It kind of goes back to the way we were talking about politics. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, when I said, it's really important to focus on what are the things that we have in common. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the religion, let's say you're both Christians and just different faiths. There is a lot of commonality there. Oh yeah. And so you know, the as parents, you can focus on what are the common things? What can we agree on? Mm-hmm. And then at some point down the road, the child, you know, is better able to uh, look at the sides and make the choice. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's not a bad plan. But I think more, I think the important thing you said, you know, when you started talking about your friend is they have a plan. They've got a yeah. parenting plan. Yep. I think the mistake that parents make or that a couple makes is that not having a plan, not talking about it, not having a plan. That is mm-hmm. a big mistake. Yeah. And, and I know it can be hard because in, in Utah and particularly in the church in Utah, baptism is at age eight. And right. so, I, and I think it can be difficult because a lot of parents feel this urgent need for their child to make that decision. 
But I think it's a good thing and it's worth meriting to at least, I think it's worth waiting for that child to, to, to do that, you know, right. and, and you need to have that dialogue because at eight years old, I mean, children, they're still learning and they're hearing both sides and it's not <laughs> fair to make them choose is really what it comes down to with kids. Don't make them choose between their parents' faith. Yes, let, I agree with that. That let, is really important. Yeah. Let them make the decision when they're older. Right. You know? When they have the cognitive ability to do that. And mm -hmm. I think it does come, you know, in those adolescent years and they start question. It's a natural process yeah. for them to question anyway. But uh, I think the takeaway, you know, from our dialogue is about, it's about having a plan that I, I really mm -hmm. believe that those differences should not mean the end of the marriage or the family. I think that's mm -hmm. a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, how you keep the family together and how you show respect mm -hmm. for these different views and then the plan you have together for the children. I think mm -hmm. that's how you navigate it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I know we're running short on time, but I think there's another really important topic that we could hit on that's kind of a big one. And that's in terms of healthcare. So All right. <laughs> mine and, mine and Curtis's, yes. And mine and Curtis's very first argument as an engaged couple was about having kids, ironically, okay. well, maybe not ironically. <laughs> so I said, I'm never having a baby in a hospital. And he goes, um, I never want to have a baby anywhere, but a hospital. Uh, and that was our very first argument as, as an engaged couple, you know, maybe because we're, we're talking about this, these things. And it was really good in hindsight that we had that conversation early on, uh, before we got married. And so how we compromised is we did, cause I really wanted to do a home birth and, and have that home birth experience and not, cause I don't like hospitals. I met very few doctors that I actually like mm -hmm. and, so, you know, I really want to do the home birth and with a midwife. And he said, our compromise was midwife in a hospital. And that's okay. what we did for all three of our kids. And it was fantastic. I absolutely but, loved it. But see, the important thing you're saying is there's a compromise. And I think, exactly. you know, I think yeah. in most issues, you know, there is a compromise. The one where mm -hmm. there isn't a compromise is whether we have a child or not, which, yeah. Yeah, which I actually run into that often. Uh -huh. One wants child, the other doesn't. There's no compromise there. Is a dog a compromise? Does that count? <laughs> well, yeah. No. <laughs> I had a grand. I had a grand dog. You know, for quite a few years before I had any grandchildren. Uh -huh. um, so, healthcare. Uh, again, we go back to this idea that the first step in, in any, I think, in any conflict or difference is you really have to understand where the other person is coming. And so to take, mm -hmm. so I think a lot of couples go to, to making this solution or a decision way too quickly. Yeah. And, and so for a lot of issues, there's really shouldn't be a rush mm -hmm. to come to the decision. And so take the time to understand what are the other person's priorities? What's the emotional content? See, I would guess that having a bit, so for you, having a baby at home, there was probably a lot of emotional content wrapped mm -hmm. up in it. Yeah. And I think yeah. before you can really make a good decision as a couple, you have to understand what that emotional content was. But I would guess for Curtis, exactly the same thing that there mm -hmm. was probably a fear. I, I 
just guessing yep, that the oh, issue yeah. is fear, right? Yeah, yeah. And so you have to understand the fear and go to the emotion. And a lot of couples, and especially newlyweds, they aren't really that good at focusing on the emotion. Mm-hmm. And so I think the advice that I would throw out there, dealing with healthcare issues, mm-hmm. focus on the emotion because mm-hmm. there's got it. I think typically there's a lot wrapped up in what it is we want to do and, and then that, make a compromise. Yeah. yeah. And I think that could be applied to what's going on. Well, it, it currently with the pandemic too, is there's a lot of, I don't know if I want to call it political divide. I mean, this mm-hmm. pandemic, unfortunately has become really political, but there's just, there's a lot of strong differing opinions. And I think the same thing could be applied to a couple. If you have one who's just feeling just really, really scared and really nervous about it and fearing for their health. And the other person is like, I don't get what the big deal is. You, you mean talking about the vaccine or just the, the vaccine the or virus just, in general, just the virus in general. I yeah. think, I think it's applicable for both. You're because, right. You're, yeah, you're right. And you know, so it's you about need, the dialogue. Yeah. And seeing the other person and understanding where they're coming from. And I've experienced this in my own family between two family members who one was very, very concerned and, and to a point they had some reason to be. And then this other family member was like, we can't live in fear all the time. And they had to come to an understanding and how that started was again, the dialogue, but again, empathy. I mean, if there's a subtitle yeah. to this episode, it's dialogue and empathy. That's that it. Would be, that, that, that I would agree. Be the, I agree. That's how we could sum up this episode is that's dialogue and empathy. <laughs> yeah. That's all you need to remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So everyone, that's it for today. Dialogue, dialogue and empathy. And empathy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We are going to circle back around to the topic of addiction. I know we were supposed to cover that back in April and we didn't get to it. So we're going to take another shot at that next week. So be sure to tune in for that. Have a question for Dr. Burton. How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 